to rumble? I don't know. Just are you ready? I think so. All right. Let's get ready to rumble. Welcome to Chronically Narnia, the podcast in which my co-host and I discuss the Chronicles of Narnia, chapter by chapter, and today we are discussing chapter 8 of The Last Battle. This chapter is called, What News the Eagle Brought. I am King Gale, conqueror of the Lone Islands, to whom they swore fealty to Narnia forever. Also known as Kristen, and this is my co-host... I'm Moodwood the Hare, who has such ears that I can sit by Cauldron Pool under the thunder of the Great Waterfall and hear what men speak of in whispers at Care Paravel. Ooh, you should be telling this story then. Yeah. You've got all the tea. <laughs> no, I'm not Tumnus. Ooh, but you probably work for him for sure. Possibly. Anyway, I'm also known as Chris. Hi, Chris. Hi. Forget how we record this podcast. A- it's been a minute. Agent of Tumnus. Uh-huh. Hello. Hello. Welcome. Welcome. We haven't recorded Did you have a good a holiday? Yeah, we I haven't. Did. We did take a couple of weeks off um, on accident and uh, one off on purpose uh, due to all of the holidays and whatnot. Yeah. We had to celebrate the winter solstice and, you know, join the fawns and their dances in the woods. Absolutely. And all the feasting at Caraparabell. Like, we did get lost for a minute. We did. You know, as one does when they party with fawns. Like, yeah. You lose track of time. You really do. <laughs> But we're in a new year. We are in a new year. We're going to be listening to this in 2022. And we have the collective magic of the new year. The collective magic. You know what happens this year, Kristen? We finish the series. We're going to finish this series. We really are. In fact, we're going to finish it in, I think, probably 10 episodes. I think we have eight more chapters of this book. And then we uh, are going to have our book wrap up, and then we're going to do a full series wrap up, and then we're going to move on to something else. Certainly. So this is this is gonna we're gonna start off our ten episode countdown next week. We are something something like depends on how many wrap ups we do <laughs> before we move on to being chronically Jackson. We're still deciding on the name, but <laughs> action Jackson. Yeah, that one. Olympians. Anyway, how do we start this podcast, Kristen? Well, we banter. We've accomplished that, I think. Check. <laughs> then and then we summarize the chapter so as you and i were reading through the chapters i don't know if you remember since it's been like three weeks since you read the chapter yeah. but as you were reading through the chapter you selected out five sentences to summarize the chapter with i did you found those i did find all right those. cool um so you're gonna read those cool and that's gonna be how you summarize the chapter and then i'm gonna read mine uh-huh that's how i'll summarize the chapter then we will discuss that summary an amount of time that takes longer than just reading the chapter would have. Sweet. Um, <laughs> did we actually talk about what chapter we're doing? I didn't. I feel like I missed the intro with the name of the chapter in it. Yes. Okay, but we did. Yeah. Cool. Making sure. Anyway. <laughs> that's that's the part of the intro. I remember how to do it. So my summary is as follows. Then that that thing was Tash," said Eustace. 
The question they had to decide was whether they would go to Stable Hill again that night, show Puzzle to the Narnians, and try to make them see how they had been tricked, or whether they should steal away eastward to meet the help which, which Runewit the centaur was bringing up from Caraparavel, and return against the ape and his Calarmanes in force. And as he went on, the picture of all those happy years, all the thousands of them, piled up in Jill's mind till it was rather like looking down from a high hill onto a rich, lovely plain full of woods and waters and cornfields which spread away and away until it got thin and misty from a distance. Mm. Sire, said the eagle, when you have heard my news, you will be sorrier at my coming than of the greatest woe that has ever befell you. So, the king said after a long silence, Narnia is no more. Is it the king said or said the king? I wrote it down as the king said. That's funny. I wrote it down as said the king. Interesting. I'll have to double check on which one of us is right there. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, there was your summary. We have two sentences in common, including mm -hmm. that last one, which is somewhat obvious. Cool. Alrighty. Then it is my turn. Then that, that thing was Tash, said Eustace. In the end, they all agreed that the best thing was to go off and try to meet Runewit. Caraparavel was taken from the sea. And the other site, five leagues nearer than Caraparavel, was Runewit, the centaur, lying dead with a calamine arrow in his side. So, said the king, after a long silence, Narnia is no more. Whew. So, um, we covered this a little bit uh, in our summaries, but a lot happens in this chapter. Yeah, but it's a happens. really short chapter. Yeah. Is like, it really... it's one of the shortest chapters in a Narnia book so far. It's short. Packs in the plot, though. Really packs a lot of punches, too. <laughs> yeah. Because it takes extra time in this chapter to talk about how great Narnia has been for the last 2,000 years or however long, 1,000 yep. and a half years. For the most part. And it talks so much about, like, it takes the time uh -huh. to make Narnia seem so great and how important it is that Narnia goes on forever. And then we just announce the end of Narnia at the end of the chapter. And I do partially have an issue with the way that's written, and I'll get there when we get there. Um, we'll get however, there when we get there. Yep. Yeah, are we there yet? No. So this chapter opens up. Uh, the last chapter finished off where they were had gone outside. They noticed some smell of death on the air. And they wander out, and they see this creature wandering off through the forest. Yes. Um, which uh, is this huge, ugly thing. It looks like kind of like a man crossed with a bird with four arms and, like, smells of death and, like, looks just very uh, kind of terrible. I have some art of him. Yeah. In my book here. Which might, in fact, match the artwork from the covers uh, and it, of it, those terrifying covers of the book. It does. It also, it's not intentional, but it's a little bit comical because it's like, hey, here's this horrifying thing and maybe this is like the god Tash of the Calarmanes and this is bad news. But also, like, he's like very determinedly walking through the woods with his arms raised above his head. Yeah. <laughs> just being like, just imagining like a ruler of some country being like, Oh my god, that's that terrifying king. And he's walking around just his arms hung above his head for no reason at all. Yeah. Um, Except that this is, like, supposed to be a creature that is instilling fear within 
everybody in Narnia, like yes. talking animals and everything. So like it is has to be viciously predatorial. Yeah. Uh, also, is apparently like a god, but like has to like just hoof it uh, all the way across like the backcountry Narnia, nowhere to get where he's actually trying to go. Yeah. <laughs> like he <laughs> he's he's got to walk like everybody else. Yep. <laughs> apparently. I mean. <laughs> It's not his territory. Yeah. Cool. It's um, not his country. I mean, that's the, the point I'm making. Yeah. Anyway, they see this creature walking off through the woods, and then um, Tyrion. That's his name, right? No, it's Trinian. <laughs> Tyrion <laughs> is uh, the one that recognizes it and being like, hey, I've seen carvings of this down in Calermaine. This is Tash, or at least an aspect of him, or something that looks a lot like Tash. Yep. Uh, it looks just like this, the carvings of him. So that's bad news. Doesn't notice them or doesn't care, apparently, because like you, they see this thing very clearly and it just keeps on wandering off through the woods, doesn't take any notice that they're there at all. You know what I found really interesting about that, though? What? It's described when they see this creature uh-huh. that they all stood as still as statues. Mm-hmm. And it has the same effect on them as the White Witch's power. To turn people to stone statues. Yeah, that's interesting. Where they all froze and stood as still as statues. Yeah, it's a it's a motif. Yeah, bringing up that motif again, or maybe it's like a T Rex and its vision is based on movement, and as long as we're still, it can't see us. Uh, yeah, or like the <laughs> eagle that we're gonna try to stay still to hide from later. Yeah. Um. So yeah, more statue motif imagery. Uh, then eventually it takes off into the woods and they have a discussion about what they're They all get to breathe a sigh of relief, though. Like, there's very much just, like, this collective sigh of relief. Yeah. That it's gone. Yeah. And, uh... But they also call it a demon. And I think that it's the dwarf who says something along the lines of don't summon demons if if you're not ready to deal with demons. Whoa. And so, like, they've been messing around with all of this stuff at the at stable hill yeah with pretending like this tash aslan same person blah 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 yeah and here here comes tash rolling up yeah to be like sure i'll take that bet yeah sorry i just had this mental image of like tash getting to stable hill and everybody being shocked but like he's just had to walk like 40 miles to the woods to get there and he's just like really Really not happy with you guys, but anybody have a glass of water? I just need to sit down for a second. Uh, yeah. That was, that was a hike. <laughs> I just came 700 miles from Calarmine. Uh-huh. From my temple in Calarmine. <laughs> yep. Anyway. So, yeah. they uh, He's apparently going off toward she, it, they, we don't really gender Tash, I guess. Um, and... It's going off toward the hill to deal with whatever they've summoned, but they don't have to deal with that now, and there's a question of what they actually want to do. Yep. Um, Well, they also question whether or not anyone else there, anyone at Stable Hill, will actually be able to see Tash. Yeah. Which I find to be a really weird little, like, concern of theirs. Because that's been been a thing that's happened with Aslan one time. Uh Uh-huh. Where some people could see him and others couldn't. Well, it's, it, I think it's specifically the ape who said, I mean, Jules says, who knows if Tash will be visible to the ape. 
and it's just talking about him. Okay. So, I don't know. It's interesting. Like, why would they be able to see it, but the ape wouldn't? Yeah. That's, so. And that's my question. Like, they're, like, concerned that they might not be able to convince people that Tash is standing there. Yeah. Like, why do they think that it's important that they can see Tash? Yeah. Uh, and then we have some more, like, uh, disparaging remarks about Puzzle. We have to tell him what a, you know, piece of crap that he is. Because uh, <laughs> he was hiding in the tower from this thing, being scared, and he comes out, and they're just like, well, you're useless. I mean, um, <laughs> says all of the people who were just turned to statues by yeah, it. Yeah. But uh, Puzzle gets, like, the short end of the stick there. Uh, then they have time to make some plans, and they're just like, hey, what are we going to do? Like, should we go down there and confront everybody? Should we go meet Runewit? Runewit is a hard word to say. Runewit, and see what his reinforcements look like, and, like, we'll go down there and, like, march on him and yep. start a battle. And they decide eventually that they're going to go meet Runewit. Yes. So they're going to wander off and meet Runewit. Um, um, not not before, of course, they go and bathe themselves of well, this. Yeah. Disguise they want to, they their black face or their brown face they that they to, have had on. They don't want to come up on unsuspecting Narnians looking like you know, Calermanes. Yeah. Like might go wrong. Yeah. So. So they have to go uh, take off their brown face. Yep. They do that. And it was a refreshingly homely sight to see the three of them bathing themselves in the river. Yep. And scrubbing. And they came back with their skin all pink as if they'd just been <laughs> cleaned fresh for some kind of great party correct yeah and get their straight swords on yep they gotta get their straight swords curved swords yep uh it's a whole thing like i don't i i don't know why it rubs me so much the wrong way uh uh-huh like i mean obviously it's kind of gross but like the way that it's described as, like, so pleasantly homely and that they're, like, going to go to a party. <laughs> yep. When it's like, hey, we just took off our disguise and our brown face. Yep. And we just changed back into our Narnian military gear no. to go murder people, to go get into a fight, to go cut some pe- people up. But, but now they look like people again. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> he did say it. That was him. And I'm going to leave it in. <laughs> But yeah, it's like, it's so yucky. All of it's a little yucky. Yeah. So anyway, they get dressed in their murder gear. Um, (laughs) Because they're an adventuring party of murder hobos. uh, Yeah. (laughs) You want to say that again? I think you dropped right in the middle of that. Because they're an adventuring party. 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 Parter. Don't worry about this line. All right, we're going to skip that. Cool. Um, Puzzle really wants to get out of his lion costume. He still can't. They're just like, nope, you gotta wear it for a while longer because we really need to prove people to this. I don't understand why. Yeah. Why can't they just take it off of him and then put it it back on him later and be like, yeah, this is how they did it. Yeah. Like, why does he have to keep it on? I don't, I don't like it. Because especially even now that it's gotten more and more disheveled, it's super obvious that it's not even like a disguise anymore at this point. It's like you're wearing the burden of the damage you might have done. Yeah. And it's, I don't know, it's a little, it's a little un, unsympathetic. Yes, at the same time, like... It's, it lacks mercy. Uh, but also, Puzzle was a willing participant in this whole thing. 
Yes. Like, Puzzle wasn't forced to go along with this plan in the beginning. Like, he willingly was like, I'm going to take part in this deception. He might be dumb and have been tricked into it and deserves mercy for that. But at the same time, like, this was his decision. Yes, and if you think that, if you can honestly say that you believe he was tricked into it Uh and taken advantage of, and that he, while we know he should have known better because he does protest initially, Uh like, why can't we have mercy on him? I don't know. I mean, like, like that is what good. what is Lewis teaching us about mercy? Yeah, I mean, I, I think part of it is like we can go back to the very first chapter and be like, Puzzle knew this was wrong because he was just like, Aslan's going to have a problem with this if he happens to show up. Yeah. Like he knows it's there's a problem here. Yeah. So, given that he has knowledge that is wrong and does it anyway, I feel like that's you no. Know, it is it is fair to judge him at least somewhat. Yes, but also it's been so emphasized that he didn't know. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess it's just a question of, like, how much do we actually believe that Puzzle didn't know? Uh-huh. And why are we all, like, even the characters are all making different judgments about him? Uh-huh. And it's showing that there's an ambiguity here because Tyrion is treating him like he deserves death. Yeah. And he deserves punishment for all of this. Yeah. And then, like, Jill is treating him like she's sorry for him and stuff like that. Like, where's, where is the actual lesson here being taught and learned about what mercy looks like, what grace looks like, what punishment actually is due in this situation? I mean, in terms of the series, we've had these discussions before, and, like, we had, we've had huge moments of this with like Edmund and Redmond's redemption arc and Eustace and his redemption arc. Yeah. And so like we we've talked at length about like what mercy and like forgiveness look like. Yeah, and why does it look different in this one for puzzle? I don't know cuz he's not human. <laughs> have we had any beasts that have gone through a redemption arc in this uh in this story at all? Yeah, Tumnus. Yeah, I guess so. You could, you could say that. I mean, as far as talking animals go, I don't know. Uh-huh. But, like, we've had Tumnus. Mm-hmm. We've had um, the uh, dwarf from Prince Caspian. What's his name? Trumpkin. Trumpkin, yes. Mm-hmm. We've had Trumpkin, who've gone through similar things where they have had these kind of redemptive arcs. Yeah. So, like, I think it does matter to ask the question uh-huh. of, like, why isn't Puzzle given a similar arc or moment yet? He might get and one. why is it just dragging on so long, this torment that he now has to endure? I mean, it's only been a few chapters. we got half the book left, so yes, we'll see. Yes, but when we're talking about these books, it's stuff that gets resolved in a couple of chapters, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not... This yeah. isn't... It's the timing that's the problem, I think. Uh, anyway, they go through a nice little walk in the woods. Yep, they go have a nice little walk in the woods. Is this our last little nice walk in the woods? It it Narnia? might be it might be our last little nice walk in the woods. We've had several of those. We have had several walks in the woods. Mm-hmm. With this being a walk in the woods, though, it is I think important to note that we then have this whole series of conversation between Jill and um, 
the unicorn, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who are now becoming good friends. Yes. Uh, where Jill's just like, hey, oh this goodness. is nice. Narnia's this unicorn nice. is the shininest. <laughs> what? What do we call him? <laughs> Bestie? Uh, she thought, and she wasn't far wrong, that he was the shiningest, delicatest, most graceful animal she had ever met, and he was so gentle and soft of speech that if you hadn't known, you would hardly have believed how fierce and terrible he could be in battle. Yeah. It even says Jill had, as you might say, quite fallen in love with the unicorn. Uh, I see. You know, girls and unicorns. Yep. It's, uh, it's a thing. Yeah. Anyway, and Jill is just like, hey, this is nice. Why isn't Narnia this nice all the time? And the unicorn's just like... Well, and here's the part. Here's the part that really gets me on this. Uh-huh. She's like, really wish we could have more of these kind of adventures. Uh-huh. Just walking through the woods. Yeah. What did Jill do the first time she came to Narnia? She spent weeks walking through the woods and the tundra. Well, she just, like... She and Eustace just walked. I mean, that with was... Puddle Glum. That was their adventure, was just walking. Yeah, but that was in the North and Giant Country when, like, at any given moment, something might jump out and kill you. Yes, like, that and was they're currently just walking through the woods, which arguably has more things that can jump out and harm oh, you. Oh, no, yeah. Especially <laughs> when the Calamines are afoot. Yeah. Anyway, and Jewel is just like, yeah, no, most of the time it's boring and peaceful and, like, nothing much happens. It's only when you freaking Earth people show up. Yeah. That, like, everything starts going wrong. Curious, isn't it? Um, no, he doesn't really say it like that. But. Yeah. Uh, he does say, yeah, no, uh, for most of the thousands of years of Narnian history, pretty much nothing happens. There's peaceful Franciscans of power. Like, nothing much changes. Like, there's, uh, you know, occasionally cool stuff. Like, when we talk about Snow, Swan White, the queen, who lived before the days of the White Witch, it was so beautiful that when she looked into any forest pool, the reflection of her face shone out of the water like a star by night for a year and a day afterwards. And all this, like, magical, like, yeah. nonsense. We and, talk about Gale. We talk about the Lone Islands. Yep. And how, like, yeah, there are standout moments in history, which are the ones that the humans have witnessed. Mm-hmm. And that other than that, it's very much a peaceful place. Yeah. And then Jill is just like, well, hope we can solve all this and get it back to that. and like, So that it can last for millions and millions of years. Yeah. She says, our world is going to end someday. I hope this one never does. And Jill is just like, yeah, no. This all world's... worlds end. Yeah. It's a very, very kind of a nihilistic statement from Jill there. Yeah. Just like, it, is a little, it is a little nihilistic, but it's also like... It's honest. It's truthful. Like, all worlds end. He's sitting there with this child who's just like... Well, Joel, what's your sample size, though? Like... How many worlds How many worlds have you witnessed? Like... Because... And also, why are you so confident, Jill, that your world's gonna end? Like, Jill's just like, our world's gonna end, but... Like... Timing-wise, when is this in relation to the war? Like, she's just like, yep, nope, our world's gonna end, period. Yeah. That's that's what they drilled into him in school really early on in those days. Like, don't worry about it. In in three billion years, the sun's gonna blow up, and like the world's gonna be over. Yeah, definitely. If if nothing else gets us, the sun kills us all eventually. 
Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> I, I don't know. Um. Anyway, so Jill hopes the end is really far off. Foreshadowing. Um, <laughs> that will be resolved in one page. <laughs> well, I mean, the world isn't over. Like, we talk about the kingdom, Narnia falling. Yeah. World's still there. World's fine, as far as anybody knows. Um, anyway, and then they see something coming out of the air. Looks like a talking bird. Nobody's sure whether or not this is a spy or, like, somebody from, you know, who they don't want to Friend run into. Friend or foe. Uh, and then the dwarf recognizes it, and it's just like, that looks like Farsight the eagle, because apparently dwarves are good at recognizing individual eagles from really far away. Tell us, what do your dwarf eyes see? <laughs> from way down there. Um, but he knows exactly what eagle it is. And Tyrion is just like, oh yeah, Farsight, obviously, because like I know the names of all the eagles in Narnia. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> As a king should. Yep, completely. Um, and they they stand as still as rocks again because if they move, thing might see us. Yeah. So they do that, but the bird approaches. Arrow on the string, uh-huh. my lady, but don't shoot. Yep. Uh, they're ready for anything. And then it comes down and just like addresses him as the king, and then Tyrion's just like, "Oh, well, cool. Guess we're okay." You must be a friend then. Yep. You wouldn't. You wouldn't lie to me, obviously. You wouldn't call me king. Uh, and the eagle brings some real bad news. Yeah. It's just like, what's happening? Uh, and Farsight tells of two sights he's seen. Just two. Uh, so I'm one sure of he's seen a lot more depressing sights too, but. Yeah. Just these two specifically. He says, One was Care Paravel filled with dead Narnians and living Calarmines. The Tisrock's banner advanced upon your royal battlements and your subjects flying from the city, this way and that, into the woods. Care Paravel was taken from the sea. Twenty great ships of Calarmin put in there in the dark of the night before last night. Whew. Yeah. Uh, so Just apparently. swept in. Boom. Care Paravel gets taken, which is interesting here because we've established before, especially in uh, Horse and His Boy, that Narnia's power is their Signif- navy. Yeah, it seems like, like they have a significant navy, and that's why they can uh, maintain their presence, and they don't really have that many ground forces. But the fact that they're they're a sea power that gets taken from the sea. Yeah, it is- does seem it does seem a little bit. Mm-hmm. inconsistent with what we've heard about Nardia so far, but yeah. also it's been a while. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but that, even with that said, though, I feel like Narnia has only become a sea power since Caspian. Uh-huh. Because, like, we talk about Gale and the Lone Islands and stuff, but then we also know that with the whole Telmarine thing, Narnia completely lost any access to the sea, basically. Yeah. And and was very fearful of the sea. Yeah, so it's 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 gone back and forth. Um yeah, it was just the Calarmine had that desert power. Yep. They, really, really important to have desert power. Yep. Um, Hashtag desert power. Anyway. So, um, Narnia gets taken. Wow. Yeah, didn't see that coming, did you? Uh, and apparently, I mean, apparently Care Paravel is also, like, the only stronghold of Narnia. And if Care Paravel has fallen, like, we're just done. Yep. Like, we don't have any other fortresses or armies or anything anywhere else. Like, that's that's all she wrote. I mean, it is, like, the capital and the king's yeah. home. Yes, but, like, it is right on the coast, and, like, they they would still have to advance, the, you know, at all inland if they were going to take the entire country. Yeah. 
I'm sure Aslan's How is still a stronghold and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, and then he says the other site doesn't even give him time to recover. He's just like, yep, also five leagues nearer than Caraparavel. Uh, Runewood's dead, by the way. As uh, is his entire army that he was bringing to your aid. Yep, so you guys are screwed. Yep. Um, and the king says, well, Narnia, Narnia is no, no more. more. That's it. Uh, and very suddenly we end there. That's the end of the chapter, by yep. the way. Yeah. Like, it's a very short chapter. Ha- like, a third of which is taken up by descriptions of Narnia and better days. And then at the very <laughs> end, we're just like, yo, no, uh, Narnia is screwed. Narnia is over. It's done. Yep. <sighs> and, like, it, it ends very abruptly right there. 100%. Just like, whoop, and we're done. Um, so, a lot happens here. Here's the issue that I brought up that I wanted to talk about a little bit is that I feel like this whole conversation between Jewel and Jill about how great Narnia was is almost more of an afterthought where Lewis realized he got to the last, he's halfway through the last book and he's like, Narnia's fallen. Oh wait, why should we care about this? Because every time we've seen Narnia, something has been going wrong. Yeah, and it's and been like on it's, the verge of falling anyway. Yeah, like it's been in a state of chaos and war and, uh, you know, complete misery for hundreds of years why should anybody care that it's gone oh wait yeah it was good at some point like we're never going to talk about that in any other book but let me tell you about why it was good well i think (laughs) it's important for him to like show like children Uh of wartime Uh which is his audience that even though we're constantly seeing these battles in front of us right now Uh uh-huh there are and were better times, and there will be better, quieter times. Hopefully. And I think that that's what that was about, uh-huh. was him riding at the children of war. Yeah, I, I guess it helps to put that in that context, which I you know, forget to do. I mean, that's what he's writing to, like children in the 1950s, right out of the wartime, you know? Yeah. You know, unlike us who grew up in an era where our country wasn't at war. Well, well. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, nothing nothing bad ever happened in our life. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> anyway. So, understandable. Uh, so, Narnia's fallen here. We're halfway through the book. we got to resolve that. We're going to see what happens, obviously. Um, Do you think that Narnia is going to end in this book? That it will be the end of the world for Narnia? Um, based on prior knowledge of things that happen in this book, yes. Okay. I gotta be, I've gotta be honest about that. Yeah. Lest anybody, uh, think that I'm being deceitful about my, uh... Experience Experience with the Narnia books. Um, yeah, sure, I think it'll happen. Um, what that looks like, I don't know, because obviously I haven't read the book before. But, uh, yeah, the, we end on a very hopeless note here. Yeah, we do. Like, what are they gonna do? They don't have any backup. Like, they don't... They know Tash is going to be at Stable Hill. Like, they can't necessarily go there. They can't go to Care Paravel. Like, what's... What do you do next? What, indeed. <laughs> it's... I mean, that's... We just got to keep reading. Yep. So we'll figure out next chapter. Uh, is there anything that we skipped over that we should talk about? Um, I've already got all of my notes done, because my notes were about... Tasha's presence, them becoming statues, the description of summoning demons and having Tash show up kind of thing. Yeah. 
um, the falling of Care Paravel and just the significance of that because this is not the first time that Care Paravel has fallen. Because Care Paravel so. fell with the Telmarines and they had to go basically reclaim Care Paravel from after the witch stuff. Like that it was just kind of seemed like it was described as like an empty castle waiting for a king. Well, it was also fully destroyed in. Um... Yeah. Prince Caspian. Yeah, so, like, timeline-wise, we have the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where yeah. it's not even, a, like, they're just like, oh, yeah, we're going to go install these kings and queens at Caraparavel. Uh-huh. Oh, hey, look, there's Caraparavel. There it is. You know, and then uh, we have, you know, the other, it having been destroyed, you know, in that thousand-year period between the other books, and then, yeah, being reinstated as the capital for Caspian. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a very, it's symbolic and it's heavy because it is where the kings and queens of Narnia have ruled from, except the Telmarines. Uh-huh. But it's also, like, really, I don't know, it just seems like, it seems like it's really, really important, uh-huh. but it also seems like it's really not that important. Because it has fallen before. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't know how what the stakes are right yet. Right, yeah. Right, yeah. I don't know. Because it's like, are. yeah, Care Paravel felt. It's more devastating to have lost the army. Yeah. And ruined it. Well, they, and like any plan they have, like they have to completely regroup and figure out like what they possibly could do yeah, next. Yeah, what, like, like how many of them are there? It's, it's. Yeah. Uh. Four. Yeah. And Joel and useless donkey. <laughs> yeah. And maybe Farsight will stay with them. Yeah. And we, But like, yeah, there's four or five of them now, maybe. And who the heck knows what, what Aslan's doing right now? Like, he wasn't there to help Care uh, Paravel, apparently. Nope. So, who knows or where Rue he is? Wit and their whole army. Like, no. Yep. Where's Aslan? Where indeed. Anyway. Should we move on to the next segment here? Uh, yeah, let's move on. Cool. Because, yeah, we've gotten, I think, everything out of that, that. So what do we do in our next segment, Kristen? In our next segment, we do our rewrites. Indeed. Our rewrites. So as you and I are reading through the chapter, not only do we select five sentences out of the chapter to tell the story of the chapter in the chapter's own words, we also Whoa. choose five sentences out of the chapter. We do so much work for To this tell podcast. a new story. Yes. And so we just do a little creative exercise for our own enjoyment to kind of reimagine and bring a different perspective to some of the words in the chapter itself. And play with words. What fun. Yep, my favorite. Cool. I read my summary first, so would you like to read your rewrite first? Absolutely. Okay. My rewrite is as follows. I wish there could be more of this sort of adventure. No one could speak. Tyrion's heart seemed to stop beating at these words, but he set his teeth and said, Tell on. I was with him in his last hour. And he gave me this message to your majesty, to remember that all worlds draw to an end, and that noble death is a treasure which no one is too poor to buy. What are we stopping for? Ooh. 
went very dark with that. Yeah, I mean, it's a really dark chapter, and I really didn't feel right doing a, like, goofy, funny reply to it. Yeah. I don't know. In my rewrites, I've usually tried to change the tone when possible, but I, I don't know. I, I guess I've dropped the ball on that one recently a few times. Yeah. Uh-huh. Is yours comical on this one? Yes, totally. How <laughs> oh, is it? Am I allowed to make comments when we have to re-record a segment? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. We definitely just... reco- thought that we recorded and have already done the last 10 minutes from here, but there was a siren that went by on my last attempt to read the rewrite, and I never started the record again. This, the, these are the, the only times that I wish we had a scripted podcast. <laughs> oh. I was like... Yeah. It would be so much easier to just read lines again. Yeah, it does. Than to just try to be fun and spontaneous and respond to you. Yeah. <laughs> All anyway. over again. With new information. Yep. Anywho, I'm going to go ahead and read my hilarious rewrite. Your very dark rewrite. Yep. Our world is going to have an end someday. It was small and looked black against the blue. What might it do? No one could speak. They have called it, and it has come. The end of the world! Yeah. The tiny black speck in the blue sky. Which, you know, okay. is is kind of a parallel universe rewrite, I guess, and not like a full-on rewrite. Yeah. This is like, still talking about the end of Narnia. Yeah. So, well, I mean, not fully changing all the themes here. Yeah. Well, and I think that, that all that that shows us is that that's like the really heavy-handed theme of this whole chapter. Yeah. Like, it's really hard for us to even pull something out of this chapter that does not hammer into that same theme, even out of the context of the chapter. Uh Uh-huh. Like, trying to tell a new story with these sentences, we're still getting dark stories about the end of the world. Yeah. Or death. What fun. Yeah. (laughs) So good. (laughs) Fun and punchy. Cool. Should we move on to our last segment now? We should move on to the last segment that we've already done. We're for sure recording now, right? Yeah, we're for sure recording. Okay. 100% confirmed our recording this time. Well, in our last segment called The Final Countdown. You remember. I remembered this time. From 10 minutes ago when I told you. I did. Uh, It's The Final Countdown. It is. We're supposed to do this every time, right? Okay. Anyway, and in this one, I thought it'd be fun to end the series by talking about uh, who would win in an ultimate conflict between a number of characters uh, throughout the rest of the books. Not exhaustive list because I've removed all of the obvious, like, god-tier magic users because that would just be way too easy. But I've got some random matchups that we've been going through. we got a whole bracket system. We're going to have fun. Yep. And then this one, and then we'll do one more introducing new characters, and then we'll start our next tier of the bracket. <sighs> We're going to have some rematches and really get down to brass tacks about who's a better fighter here. Yep. Because I feel like the, I feel like first tier is pretty easy, but... We're going to get into some some real deep arguments. Yeah. Because I know this is a thing you're very passionate about doing so this segment with me. very passionate about this um, Cool. Anyway. I love this segment. So, Kristen, I'll need two random numbers between 1 and 24. Conveniently, I've rolled two brand new numbers between 1 and 24. Fantastic. Very recently. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. Uh, number 21. Okay. And number 10. Okay. That's a terrible matchup. And but what's, for, uh, what's our environment? Our environment is this, I have a 1 through 10. Uh, number 1. Well, 
in our environment, we're going to be in the wintertime Narnia. Narnia frozen over by the White Witch uh, right. in the height of never-ending, uh, not-quite-Christmas time. What, that's what they referred to it as, right? Always winter, winter but never, never Christmas. Christmas. Yeah. Uh, and our combatants are going to be Mr. Beaver versus Puddle Glum. Puddle Glum? The Marsh Wiggle? Uh, and the disclaimer going into this, we're going to assume Puddle Glum is not like a reality-bending sorcerer. Which means that we are very much changing the text. Yes. Like, we are going <laughs> off of, like, this is, it's in the text. Yep, totally. He Obviously has there. magical ability to influence reality. Uh-huh. He does. <laughs> so you shouldn't have included him in the brackets. I probably shouldn't have, but, like, also I shouldn't have included Tumnus. He's there. Oh, man, I which, guess that's true. Which we haven't brought in yet, and I really hope that he ends up getting picked. Yeah. Um, But... I can assure you, readers, this is actually a random selection and we're not, you know, just uh, doing things we think would be fun. Yeah. Readers. Weird. Anyway, <laughs> fellow readers of Narnia. We hope we hope you've read Narnia if you're listening to us. But if not, I hope you enjoy our version of it. Yep. Anyway. Um, so I think env- the environment isn't really going to change a lot here because I think both of the combatants have demonstrated their uh their prowess in frozen winter landscapes yes puddle glum in the frozen north where it's a little more tundra less forest yes so it is technically a slightly different environment well they had that blizzard in the ruined city yeah they could they couldn't even see through yeah i guess that's true anyway still not a forest different resources available i guess is what i'm pointing out Uh um you know because Puddle Glum isn't used to the idea of just being able to gnaw down a tree and have it fall on his enemy and give him an increased range to his attack outside of his bow and arrow. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Now we're, now we're uh-huh. just bringing up new, uh-huh, <laughs> new uh-huh. stuff, aren't I we? had ideas. <laughs> I had ideas, and now we're re-recording, so I get to share my ideas. All right. Um, right. So, um, yeah, so we have Puddle Glum. And Mr. Beaver, who've both been in winter environments, in uh, snowy environments, and both seem to be able to survive just fine in them. Yeah, both Whether really or not the they've been able to thrive in them. Both of them have water-involved characteristics. As we know, marsh wiggles do uh, work all of the waterways. Yeah, they're all over the place in Narnia. Narnia. They're everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, and... Uh, Beaver's gonna beaver. And beaver's gonna beaver and dam up the water. Yep. Although we never encounter any other beavers. They Mr. and Mrs. Beaver might be the only beavers in all of Narnia, for all we know. We've never seen another one. I mean, but. maybe they were the only Narnian beavers, and maybe she was infertile, and that's that's how it be. Gosh. This is supposed to be a lighthearted segment. Um, you, know, you know, as we talk about two characters fighting to the death. Yep, that is kind uh, of, uh, yeah, how it's it... supposed to be so fun. Yep. Anyway... Half of which are children. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> Hunger Games was a fun series, right? We should do that one next. <laughs> yeah, that's a good lighthearted series for us to take a nice break from all of the death and destruction and ending of worlds. Yep. This is why we're going to go talk about Greek mythology, which is, you know, so fun and not full of, like, horrifying stories about... Well, we're not going to spoil anything. We'll get there. Yeah. Anywho... So advantages both have. Um, we're not talking about uh, Puddle Glum's magic, although we can say that he really doesn't get hurt unless he has made a mistake and it's his own fault, like when he kicks the flaming thing. 
Uh, yeah, but just because he hasn't been hurt doesn't mean he won't get hurt. None of the kids got hurt either in that I guess, book. I guess that's true. Uh, he definitely is taller and lengthier. He's got a reach advantage. Uh, where... With a sword, he's got skills. With a bow, he's got skills. Yeah, apparently he's decent in combat. What, what, is, what does Puddleglum, like, fight when he's not, like, off adventuring, like, where does he hone his yeah. skills? Where does he learn this stuff? Like, are, are the other Marshwiggles that bad of neighbors that he just, like, has to defend his property all the time? Don't know. Um, anyway, Mr. Beaver, arguably uh, better better at engineering and planning. He can put some stuff together. Yeah, he can build a dam and not yeah. just a wigwam. He's got really intense teeth. Uh, probably a better swimmer, like, realistically. Yeah. As you pointed out. Uh, Mr. Beaver could possibly also have some ranged uh, prowess by strategically gnawing a tree and causing it to fall on his enemies. Yeah, I mean, in the woods. Yeah, I feel he like he has a very limited range of directions in which he can fell a tree without it landing on another tree, though. Yeah, I mean that also takes time to set up, uh, which I think you know feeds into my point about if if Mr. Beaver has prep time. He's definitely got a good chance. Like, I think with prep time, Mr. Beaver definitely takes this. Yeah. If this is just a random encounter, though, I think Puddle Glum's got it. Like, if only for the bow thing, like, he's got the only ranged advantage. Like, it takes a really long time to gnaw down a tree. Yeah. So, like, you can definitely fire a bow off quicker than that. Like, if it comes down to melee range, like, it's much more of an even fight because, like, I don't know. Puddle Glum's really skinny. Yeah, Mr. but Beaver. he also has range even in a melee fight. Yeah. Mr. Beaver would have to get in biting range, which if he did, like, it's, you know, he's got them strong beaver teeth. Puddle Glum's got little twig-like legs. He could just snap right through those. Oh, yeah. Um, Throw them into his dam. Yes. Help, help reinforce <laughs> things. <laughs> horrifying mental picture. Yep. Um, anyway. Love this children's book. Yep. So... Yeah, I think the way we've been approaching it is all of these are not with any time to prepare, and this is all just random encounters, like, thrown into the thick of things. And I feel like that it might be unfair here because that completely changes the balance of the fight, but I think... Puddle Glum wins. Puddle Glum wins. Puddle Glum wins. So he's gonna, he's gonna move on. Uh, we've got one more bracket to throw together. We'll see who is entered into that. Um, out of curiosity, though... Oh, no, Puddle Glum is up against who's, who's ever in the next bracket, right? Yeah. Okay. If we're doing them in order, yes. Yes, okay. So we don't know who Puddle Glum is going to go on to fight. But Correct. he's going to move on from this. Cool. Thanks for joining my pointless segment where I waste time at the end of the podcast. Thank you for the segment. And thank you, listeners, for joining us today. Listeners, readers, thank you for joining us. <laughs> As we discussed chapter 8 of Chronically Narnia. No, we discussed chapter 8 of The Last Battle. <laughs> Join us next week. Chapter 8 of the podcast. Yes. Join us next week as we discuss Chapter 9, The Great Meeting on Stable Hill. Oof. And if you want to participate with us online in the meantime, you can do that at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, at Chronically Pod on Twitter, or you can email us your fan art of Farsight the Eagle as a speck in the blue at chronicallypodcast at gmail.com. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash chronicallypodcast if you feel like it, because you're cool like that. Sweet. Yeah. And until next time, and until next time, 
Uh, I don't know. It's just, it's a weird chapter to get advice from, okay? Like, if, if an eagle ever lands and starts talking to you, listen to him. He's probably bringing bad news. Why is it an eagle and not, like, some omen raven? What are we doing here? Eagles are omens. Don't listen to them. That's my advice for you. See, I was going to say, if you see a scary-looking bird, just don't move. Oh, yeah, just don't move. Like, just don't move. <laughs> they won't see you. Precisely. Awesome. Have a happy new year, everybody. Bye. As always, uh, in my sign-off, I'd like to send you some good wishes. Um, I'm really lost on how to sign off, though. Um, usually, again, we usually impart advice. Yeah, yeah, I do. We do. That's how we do. Um, I'm Moonwood the Hare, who has... Who has? <laughs> Can I try that again? Yep. As we discussed at Chapter 8 of... Chronically Narnia. No, we discussed chapter eight of The Last Battle. <laughs> Join us next week. Chapter eight of the podcast. Yes. <laughs> Tyrion. That's his name, right? No, it's Trinian. It's Tyrion. Because <laughs> they're an adventuring parter, party. Party. Parter. Don't, parter. Don't worry about this line. All right, we're going to skip that. Cool. Tell us what do your dwarf eyes see? <laughs> The final countdown. You remember! I remembered this from time. Ten minutes ago when I told you. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>